Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 in Southern California, the fan in Las Vegas, the Hawaii Sports Radio Network and the Sports Map Radio Network. It's Friday, so that can only mean one thing. It is Legends of Sport Friday with my good friend. It's Andy Bernstein. Hey, Andy, how are you? Arash, I'm doing great, man. How are you? Finally drying out here in Southern California, huh? I am. I am a man. We 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 don't know how to handle the rain here. Um, but I will tell you something that, that I'm doing this weekend that I'm very excited about, which leads me to the guest this week. I'm going to go up to the 49ers Cowboys playoff game. I, I kind of grew up with those games as a kid. And all the amazing historic pictures from those great San Francisco games. Did not know Michael Zagaris, and I hope I'm pronouncing that. I know his friends call him Z. Tell us about, I mean, I, I was so fascinated by this conversation. Well, I was too, my friend. And I, I have known Z-Man, as we call him, Michael <laughs> Zagaris. Um, he's known affectionately as Z-Man. Um, I've known him my whole career. I mean, we're not like really, really close friends. But when I see him, I feel like we are close friends because he's, he's just has this magnetism to him. Um, plus he, he's literally a legend uh, in our business. I mean, I know we're called legends of sport for a reason, but this guy, I mean, you know, if you want to put goat legend in front of it, <laughs> yeah. um, you know what he's done in 60 plus years, the guy's 77 years old, man, you'll see him running around on the sideline. Like he always does. You'll yeah. see him doing that this weekend. So he's an inspiration in many, many ways to all of us. When did you become familiar with his work? You know, as a young photographer, um, probably in school, when I started assisting for Sports Illustrated, when I, when I transferred out here from University of Massachusetts and I set my sights on being a sports photographer at Art Center College of Design, I started working for some Sports Illustrated photographers. And... I studied their work, all the work in the magazine. Every Tuesday morning when that magazine came out, religiously, I was at the newsstand in Pasadena when they received the sh- you know their shipment at like 7 o'clock in the morning. And Z stuff was in there. And then you know I started to see him being published in a lot of different places, mostly NFL uh, publications. And then um, very early in my career, I met him. I, I actually used to venture up to Candlestick Park, believe it or not. Um, I don't know if you've ever been there, but that was quite, oh, yeah. the, quite the adventure going to that <laughs> and, and trying to shoot there. And he was always very cordial and very non-territorial, which in our business, I got to tell you, is 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 not common. Yeah. Um, most team photographers, and I will include myself in that at the beginning of my career, we're very protective, territorial. Don't, you know, give out a lot of help. Yeah. Um, Z was not like that. Very welcoming. And um, 
We actually, I, I believe we worked on the Super Bowl together as part of a big crew for Sports Illustrated way back. And, uh, you know, so that's how my, my love for him and his work really started. That is so cool. I mean, I mean, I loved it just because I love with your conversations, you get to meet new people. Again, you've, you've talked to Kobe and Magic and everyone, but like this is one of those conversations, really not familiar with his work. Again, each and every Friday, we really play just a snippet of your conversation. I know people will be enthralled when they hear this. How can they hear the entire thing? How can they hear your whole conversation? Yeah, well, we, we can always be found um, on our home base, which is iHeart, um, on their podcast platform, as well as Apple, Spotify, and any other podcast network that you subscribe to. Um, also, our YouTube channel, Legends of Sport. Um, we have some snippets out there on TikTok, of course, our social media at Legends of Sport on Instagram, Twitter at Legends underscore of sport. But the place to go really is uh, is your favorite podcast platform and yeah. and and on YouTube as well. I have to say, because we're doing all these yeah. interviews on video as well. And Z is very flamboyant and very demonstrative, you know, and um, I also have to just plug the series that he's a part of so within our legends of sports six seasons of almost close to almost now 200 episodes um we are running an ongoing series called legends of photography of which z i believe is the the 13th or 14th major photographer that uh, i've been able to interview um and these are all in in my business household names but for fans out there who don't know the name you will know the photographer you will know the photography, you will know the photos, you'll know the moments that these photographers covered. Everything from, you know, news and sports, um, entertainment, uh, of course, music. And I have a, I don't want to tip it off, but I have a <laughs> very special guest coming for this series. We used to be a White House photographer and he'll be on at some point, I hope, later this season, March or April. Awesome. So with that said, let's uh, hear the first part of the conversation. Legends of Sport Friday with the Z-Man, Michael Zagaris. I want to welcome one of the icons, the true icons of sports photography, music photography, photography in general, um, a tremendous photojournalist, a friend, Michael Zagaris. I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. I know you're busy. You're a busy guy, but, you know, can't thank you enough for coming on and, and talking to us here at the Legends of Sport podcast. Hey, you know what? It's an honor to be on. I mean, it's uh, it, this is dynamite. <laughs> thank you, man. This, this is why we do it. Yeah, exactly. So we got a lot of lot of stuff to cover, man. And I, I do appreciate in advance you giving me some time here. Um, you know, of course, I want to get into your new book. Of course, when I went to the, uh, the the book signing, the opening in LA a few weeks ago, which was amazing. Um, but Michael, you know, your your longevity and your passion for your work, you know, 50 plus years at least, right? Yeah, um, it's yeah. incredibly mind-blowing and it's it's an inspirational to me. I've been doing this 40 plus years. You know, all of our colleagues are still, I, I think the word is astounded. <laughs> I mean, really, by the fact that you still like get it going every single time you go out to work and you know you're not a spring chicken anymore my friend so where does all this energy and all this juice come from i think i think part well listen i think for both of us there's mm -hmm. genetics come into play yeah um i love what i do yeah 
So it, it in in many respects, it doesn't seem like work, <laughs> and um, that's you know that's the biggest thing of all. Mm-hmm. The other thing is what we do, with a few exceptions, there's not a lot of money in it. Mm-hmm. So unless you're Peter Beard or you know you, you've got a family with a lot of money, you need to make money. Yeah, I still at seventy seven years old. Mm-hmm. I still pay rent. So, you know, the wolf's always at the door. <laughs> you mean rent doesn't end at a certain age? Like they just yeah. they just let you go? You know, I just keep living there. We don't need rent. <laughs> well, I, I feel like I'm running, and if I stumble, the yeah. wolves are upon me. You know, I can't throw it out of bounds. <laughs> yeah. You know, Mike, um, and I'm going to call you Michael, because I know everybody calls you Z-Man, and I know you love that. But... Um, you know, Kobe had had a had a great line after you know everyone asked him, "Well, why now? Why are you retiring now?" You know, and his sure. it was very simple. He said, "You know, I woke up yesterday and I realized I didn't want to go to the gym to shoot anymore. First time in my life, I didn't want to go and shoot." Right? Sure. What about you? Do you ever see that happening in your life? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know what? When it really ceases to be fun, mm-hmm. because in the end at least for me, this has always been fun. It's something I look forward to doing. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is your body, I think at a certain point, especially shooting football, will tell you, Hey, you know what? You're done. (laughs) I'm not quite there yet, but I'm more there than I certainly was 10 years ago. I really, last year in green Bay, we had the, uh, the divisional playoff Mm -hmm. the end of January it was 10 below zero. Yeah. And I was not warm, but I wasn't cold, cold mm-hmm. until midway through the third quarter because that cold just gets into you. Yeah. That shot I got of the block punt, mm-hmm. I tell people I I never would have gotten the end shot I got had it been a regular game mm-hmm. because by that time, it was so cold and I could feel it. Mm-hmm. Ordinarily, I'd be lying on my stomach. Yeah the wide angle lens in case there's a block punt it was so cold i thought if i get down like this it might take me two minutes to get up again right so i was on a knee i love it it. cold. yeah and the next day i felt the way i used to feel in college the day after a game Uh, where it was sometimes you know depending on who you played it was mm -hmm. hard to get out of bed yeah I, i mean that's that's something that just can't be um overlooked man you are working in the elements you know i mean i go into an arena it's climate controlled doesn't matter what the weather's like outside could be in minnesota in january you know and it's minus 20 but you know it's 65 68 degrees in the arena um i almost feel guilty like about (laughs) looking at what you do and watching you like i i went to the um I went to the NFC Championship game. I saw you do your thing. I've been on the field with you. I, I you know, it just blows my mind that you have the, um, I guess, you know, the physical ability to keep doing what you do at this high level. It's just amazing. So I, I think, you know, I think a lot of it too is I'm around the players mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. And in, in, in my headspace, I'm not just taking pictures. I'm playing the game. <laughs> and because of that, mm-hmm. it, you have to stay in pretty good shape. I mean, I'm not in gladiator shape like they are, <laughs> but I'm in good shape. And I think being around them, mm-hmm. both um, 
physically and, and mentally, it's it's really helped. Yeah. So so you didn't start out wanting to be a photographer, right? I mean, talking to you, yeah. knowing you a little bit, but also reading, you know, a lot about you. Um, talk about those early years. Talk about what your path, you felt that your path was, you know, back in the 60s. You know, back in the 60s, and I, and I, and I always predicate it with back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. When I tell the story now, people laugh. Yeah. I wanted to be a professional football player initially, mm-hmm. play five, six, seven years, have a beautiful wife, then get into politics. And I was going to run for first Congress, mm-hmm. then the Senate, then be president. One of the reasons I was a Sino-Soviet major, I thought, you know what? I want to be able to negotiate my own treaties with the Russians and the Chinese. You tell that story now, people literally laugh like, yeah. oh, bro, that's yeah. hilarious. But seriously, yeah. it was like, no, that we're talking about the 60s. It was a different time, a different era, a much more innocent America. Right. For but, sure. but you were in, in the middle of it. I mean, you were at George Washington University. You were playing playing football. Right. I mean, what, you know, what got you into politics, let's say? What got you into, uh, you know, wanting to pursue that career? I, you know, I think in when I was in high school, when I a freshman in high school, JFK had run for the presidency. And I, I was, I had a cursory interest in politics the way I think probably a lot of people my age did at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Very innocent. Um, I JFK was cool. Mm-hmm. He he was a, he was a good guy, um, especially when you put him next to Nixon. Yeah. I mean, I, knowing nothing that I know now, yeah, um, it seemed like a really cool thing. And he was into sports. He was a big. I remember he was a Red Sox fan, mm-hmm. and he loved football. Mm-hmm. And it was just all of the things again in a very innocent America of that point in time, I, I wanted to give back. I wanted to do something for my country. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, even, even as I'm saying that now, that sounds so like, what? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Because yeah. we're much more cynical. Mm-hmm. But I, I really wanted to, to do something mm-hmm. to help my state, help my country, help mm-hmm. the world. Yeah. So, Knowing nothing about the world, I wanted to help. Sure. And how did you avoid the war, by the way? How did that happen? You know, I was actually, I was, after after the debacle of law school, where after the assassination, mm-hmm. the next day, I had to fly back to San Francisco, mm-hmm. drive to Santa Clara. I had a contracts final. And I, I when I got off the plane, mm-hmm. that's when I found out that Bobby had actually died. Mm, mm-hmm. And I was, I, yeah. I want to say I was crushed. I was numb. Yeah. And I remember I walked into the, the room where the tests were, sat down, they passed out the mimeograph sheet. I had like seven or eight blue books. And I sat there for, you know, a number of minutes, just kind of like, huh. Mm. And then I remembered I took my wallet out and I had three or four of those little squares that used to come in the tops, baseball cards, mm-hmm. headshots. And I remember I had a Clemente, a Marichelle, and I think a Maze. Mm-hmm. So I took the, the one Marichelle, I put it on the first blue book, took a quarter out, transferred the picture onto the blue book, drew a little balloon, the mouth, and wrote, Mike, this is all bullshit. <laughs> and I proceeded to fill seven or eight blue books with how 
Yeah. America was fucked and murdered its leaders. Mm. That was the end of law school. Oh, my boy. Parents, yeah. Korea. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, my I remember my dad said, okay, big shot. Now what are you going to do? Mm. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, I don't know, but I'll know when I see it. Yeah. And literally two weeks later, I get a, you know, your, your reclassified 1A report for your physical. Mm-hmm. And I remember I didn't, I, I was against the war in Vietnam. I thought I'm not going. I remember going to the induction center at Oakland. It was pandemonium. Mm-hmm. There were guys in drag. There were people on acid. I mean, it was like a wild scene. Yeah. The guy behind me was from Woodland. He had come in the night before in a bus. Said, oh, you know, the army paid for my room last night. I got a tattoo. I can hardly wait to go in. Hey. I thought I'm not going in. Mm-hmm. And I was truculent all through the physical. Ended up, be- you know, and I had like, a thick thing of all my football injuries. They didn't care about that at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ended up one Y because as a kid, I had bronchial pneumonia. Mm. One Y meant you could only be drafted in case of a national emergency. Mm. So at that point, I probably wasn't going to have to go to the war in, in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. But then I walked out and it's like all the things, you, you know, what are you going to do with your life? Well, I don't know. I've got to deal with this. Now it was like, what am I going to do? So, you know what? I thought I had read Huxley's Doors, Doors of Perception. I had read uh, John Hersey's novel about an acid trip. I knew the year before when I had heard Revolver, the Beatles had dropped. Mm-hmm. I dropped acid, not to escape, mm-hmm. not to get up. I was, at that point in time in my life, I was searching for self, for truth. Mm-hmm. That first acid trip, it was like the veil had been pulled back. It was wow. like amazing. And I started hanging out at the Fillmore because I'd always been into music from the time I was about eight or nine years old. And mm-hmm. Ray Charles, Elvis, James Brown, they were my, you know, the, my go-to guys. I was introduced above and beyond the Beatles, all the English bands that were coming through. I could see they were, they were setting the tone and they were basically playing our blues roots, much of what we had never heard. Mm-hmm. And using their style and their theatricality to both change our whole culture and in turn be changed by it. So I started writing a book about that and I'd show up at the Fillmore. I'd have a tape recorder. I'd have a camera the way you'd have a camera on a trip. I never thought about being a photographer and I'd have two or three joints in my pocket, (laughs) hang out backstage, interviewing all the musicians. It was, you could do it then because there wasn't the security. There wasn't the corporatization. Yeah. And all these guys, we were the same age, mm-hmm. literally. So, so, and, so you would just show up and they'd think, oh, you're just a media guy or you, you know, like. I'd say I'm, you know, just like when I started taking pictures when I was in high school at football games when I'd make my own credentials. Yeah, sure. We all you did that. You'd come out with a line of bullshit <laughs> and it was like, you know, yeah, hey, come on in. I you know, like. It. Hey, I'm doing this book. Yeah. Here. And, and and we'd all share stories and there'd be like these hour and a half rambling interviews. And I'd always take pictures. A year and a half went by. Yeah. And now I've got a n I've interviewed enough, you know, musicians. I'm getting ready to do it. Mm-hmm. I'd interviewed Eric Clapton when Cream was breaking up. Mm-hmm. Eric now comes back. He was with Delaney and Bonnie. He was staying at the South Salido Inn because he loved it there because there were no telephones in the rooms, no TVs. So you could be alone. So I just showed up 
unannounced, knocked on the door. Eric comes, hey, man, what's going on? And I come in. I've got a transcript of our last interview. I had a like chunk of hash in my pocket. We start talking. We smoked a little hash, then started having the esoteric conversations you have when you're high. Yeah. At some point, he starts reading the transcript of the interview. I had brought a stack of proof sheets and a loop Mm -hmm. to busy myself while he was doing that. So he's reading the transcripts. I'm going through the, you know, my proof sheets. And at one point he goes, Hey man, well, you got that. (laughs) And I said, um, just proof sheets I'm going through. And he says, do you mind if I have a look? (laughs) I said, yeah, sure. So I handed him a proof sheet and a loop and he takes one of the proof sheets and he's holds the loop up above it like this. And he's going, Oh, it's quite good. And I says, Eric, if you actually put the loop on the proof sheet <laughs> and your eye on the loop, you can see it. Yeah. So now he starts looking and he's going, oh, f***ing hell. <laughs> Man, these are great. Uh, can, can we use these? And I said, for what? <laughs> he says, look, my albums, songbooks. He says, look, man, we'll pay you. <laughs> and I said, um, cool. Yeah, okay. Wow. And he says, the writing's all right, but you should be like doing this for a gig. <laughs> All right, that's the first part of the Legends of Sport Friday conversation with Michael Zagaris, the Z-Man. also want to remind you that Michael Zagaris has an amazing book that is out right now, Field of Play, 60 Years of the NFL Photography. And again, he's shot it all, um, and he's going to talk about it all when we come back for part two of our Legends of Sport conversation with Michael Zagaris when we come back on the Mightier 1090 in Southern California, the fan in Las Vegas, the Hawaii Sports Radio Network, and the Sports Map Radio Network. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 in Southern California, the fan in Las Vegas, the Hawaii Sports Radio Network and Sports Map Radio brought to you again by Circus Sports. Just as a reminder, if you have a question or comment, we want to win tickets to an upcoming game in Southern California, Las Vegas or Hawaii. Call our hotline 310-400-0340. But it is Legends of Sport Friday. That can only mean one thing. It's Sandy Bernstein, our good friend. And this conversation, certainly the first part of it, if you're a young photographer or if you're like an older photographer, if you're just someone who wants to get into photography, you are you are just, you know, like every word you're attaching yourself to. I know you get this question a ton. If someone wanted to get into the field, if someone wanted to get into photography, you're about to do something really cool. How can they do that? Well, before I get to that, Arash, I I have to just tell any young photographer out there who wants to aspire to do what I do or any of the great uh, sports photographers that they admire, go study their work. You know, we have... We didn't, you know, I didn't have the luxury of Instagram when I was a young photographer coming up. I would have to go to magazines and newsstands and, and you know, hopefully books or whatever to kind of seek out 
um, mentorship along the way. And now, you know, you go to Instagram, it's instant, or you can, you know, go to different publications or what have you. Um, so I'm trying to get that sort of message out there about what it takes to succeed in this business. Um, it is my, my program is going to be a 12 week interactive live workshop. Um, and it's, it's called beyond the lens. So people can go to beyond the lens dot live and sign up. We're running a special right now, um, post holidays to get people signed up because we're going to launch this thing in June. So, you know, along with myself, I'm going to have other long tenured photographers who are going to be guests every week, people who um, have motivated me, but also people outside the business of photography who have also been incredibly motivating and have mentored me along the way. It's not really a how to you know, like take a good sports picture. It's almost like, why are you going to do it? And and where do you get the juice from? Like, where where does that Mamba mentality come from in your life? Um, so you could be a photographer, but you could be in any walk of life. You could be retired. You could be a, a young, aspiring engineer. You could be somebody who just loves photography, loves creative um, things in their life, and wants to learn from somebody who's been doing it for quite a long time. So you've been doing it for some time. Michael Zagaris has been doing it for a lot longer. Fascinated by not only sports, but music as well, Andy. I just want to bring this back to you. You love music. Bruce Springsteen's your guy. Did you ever want to like, – we know you for sports. Did you ever want to dip your toes in more into that field, into music? Oh, for sure. I, I would have loved to – taken that left turn when my career was starting. If, if there was an inroad into rock and roll, um, I would have taken it. I, I, I tried. Um, and through my career as uh, director of photography for various venues throughout my career, starting with the sports arena and Coliseum, I'm doing quite a bit of work at the forum. Um, and then of course, being director of photography now for crypto.com arena, formerly Staples Center and Microsoft Theater. We're in year 23 wow. of my company doing that. So I, I've shot quite a bit of um, entertainment, but especially music. Back in the day, you know, I shot Michael Jackson during the Bad Tour. I shot Bruce Springsteen many times. Um, some non-sanctioned, I must say, where I had to sneak in the camera <laughs> and lens when I was a young photographer. But so when I became the sports arena photographer, you know, he loved that arena. And I was able to shoot uh, full concerts, which is very rare. Usually you get the first three songs. But that's what's incredible about Zagaris, about Z-Man, because he was there in the 60s. You know, the Fillmore, um, Haight-Ashbury. Uh, he was he, he toured with Led Zeppelin. Um he was also into politics. He literally was there when Robert Kennedy was shot wow. and killed um, at the Ambassador Hotel in 1968. Um, and he decided that that his real niche was music and sports. He wanted to do both. And you can't speak about Z without saying one or the other because yeah. he's, he's as known and as beloved um, and as uh, iconic in both genres. It's Legends of Sport Friday, so without further ado, let's get to the second part of the conversation with M Michael Zagaris. So, Z, who who were you, like, you know, I, I remember who I was trying to, you know, kind of get my work to look like. I emulated, I, I, I loved 
seeing all the great Sports Illustrated photographers, and I looked through the magazine, of course, every every week, and you know, I wanted to be one. You know, I wanted to be Walter Yoser. I wanted to be Neil Lifer. I wanted to be a combination of all those guys. Who influenced you, both in music and in uh, sports? Well, in sports, in football, Robert Rieger. Mm, uh, yeah. um, I remember getting the pros for Christmas, I think my yeah. freshman or sophomore year in high school. And yeah. that was kind of like the Bible. Another sports photographer I loved was, um, and I'm trying to think of his name, and it's, it escapes me right now, Herb Whiteman, mm -hmm. who was actually a professor of photography at Washington University in St. Louis. Okay. And he did a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. Mm -hmm before anyone else did. Mm -hmm. um, wow. And then there were, a, Barry Feinstein was mm -hmm. uh, somebody that, that I really looked up to. And then Robert Cap Capra, um, yeah. yep. Yep. Deborah Turbeville, mm -hmm. Sarah Moon. I mean, a lot of the fashion photographers. Yeah. And I love, and photojournalists, I brought that with me into sports mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. For me, most of what I had seen, whether it was Sports Illustrated or even in the books, you know, Rieger, it was football action, which I loved, but there was very little behind the scenes right. and, and really changed the whole thing for me yeah. when I actually started for real mm -hmm. was Bill Walsh getting the job with the 49ers. Mm -hmm. And I knew that Bill from people I had that knew him at Stanford, he was an academic he was a student of history. And so a couple of weeks into him getting the job with San Francisco, I went in and we sat down in his office and I pitched him with the idea. And I said, coach, you know, I think you coming here, you've got a chance to do something really special. Mm. And I think that it's going to be different than any, any coach we've had to date. I'd like to cover this and document it, not as a sports photographer shooting a game. Mm -hmm. I want to shoot this as history. Mm. And I said, a history for both you, for the team, and for the NFL. And I want to cover it as a photojournalist, not just as a sports photographer. But what that'll mean, and he goes, well, that's what does that mean? And I said, well, I'd like to have total access, <laughs> meaning I want to be able to shoot practice. I want to be able to shoot the games both home and away. I want to be with the team in the hotel, <laughs> in the locker room pregame, at halftime, postgame. I want to I want to get everything mm -hmm. as a document, as it really is. Right. And he goes, I you know, I understand, I see, but he says, Well, what happens if you go too far? Uh -huh. I said, Coach, inevitably I probably will go too far. Uh -huh. I said, All you have to do is give me a look. And I'll back off a little. Yeah. And believe me, if you ever got the look from Bill, and I got it a couple times, <laughs> it was heavier than Mike Ditka coming out into the field and grabbing your face mask and screaming at you. I, I didn't know Ditka well, but I knew him well enough. Yeah. That's that was a lot of the coaches that I played under were like that. Mm. They would do that, but then afterwards they might come up to you in the locker room and go, Hey, yeah. Andy, you're my guy. Yeah. Incredible. If Bill gave you the look. He, it'd be that side eye glance. Oh, sure. And then he wouldn't talk to you for a week, and you'd be like, 
<laughs> well, you know, it, you just, I mean, we're so parallel because I, I had that same relationship with Phil Jackson. Phil sure. got it. Phil understood. He, he actually was a, 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 a huge um, supporter of photography and photojournalism. In fact, Red Holtzman had given him a camera when he was injured one year and just took pictures from the bench and on the bus and all that. So he, he was there when Willis Reed got the shot in his thigh, you know, when he came sure. in the locker room. No one's ever seen that picture, but I take Bill's word, I mean, Phil's word for it. And he and uh, George Kalinske ended up doing a book together from that championship. So when it was my turn, you know, as his team photographer, we had that same conversation and he got it. And But I knew that side eye, man. I knew it when I was in the locker locker room if i was there you know a tenth of a second too long i i got it i got i knew exactly when to go that's like a sixth sense that we have to have so sure yeah but see let's talk about this thing first of all i'm getting a hernia from this book because it's, it's like <laughs> it's like a freaking cinder block this thing no i love this book i gotta tell you is I mean, I could spend, you know, an hour on each spread and, and reading it and, and really understanding, like, your mindset. But, you know, getting people like Joe Montana and Fred Bolitnikoff, Ronnie Lott to write about it. And, of course, you got Dr. Harry Edwards, um, you know, I mean, world-renowned civil rights activist and sociologist. So what – I mean, I know what went into putting this book together. I can just imagine – what did what what are you hoping that this book conveys to people who maybe just don't get it like they're big football fans but they you know what are you trying to get across well i mean this book was dual in nature i wanted it to be i wanted it to be a player's view mm -hmm. of what it's like to play in a game and that's what i was trying to document from day 1 it was also my journey intermingled with all of this right i wanted people to to see, to feel really what it's like to be in the game, to be a player. Um, it's not just scoring touchdowns or blocks. It's the drama before a game. And everybody approaches, you know, you 55 guys in uniform. There are, you know, 30 different, at, some guys will be throwing up. Some guys will be like jittery and nervous and talking. Other guys will be very contemplative. I wanted to encapsulate that. Mm -hmm. uh, pain is another thing. I've got pictures of people being shot up. And, and I knew initially it was going to be controversial in the sense that you don't see that. Mm -hmm. I, wanted to, I wanted to show that not mm -hmm. to be exploitive yeah. or to be sensational. It's because what these guys went through, go through. Mm -hmm. And, and it's what you do as a player. I played. I know. I hated needles. I was afraid of needles. I got shot up when I was hurt mm -hmm. because in college, when you're in scholarship, they don't present it as, you know, you're injured right now. Uh, would you mind if it's <laughs> like, hey, we're going to do this? Yeah. And the, the biggest thing that drives you, you know, the guy behind you who's often your best friend, if you miss this game, or the next two games, and he comes in and catches seven or eight balls, you may not play again. Yeah. yeah. And so these are all the things you do. And I wanted to bring that out. Mm -hmm. I wanted to show the sacrifices the players make mm -hmm. to stay on the field, mm -hmm. to help their teammates, to help themselves. Um, I wanted to show all aspects of the game. I wanted to show the coaches 
making halftime adjustments. Mm -hmm. I wanted you to feel when you've looked through this book that you're playing, that it's like, oh my God, this is, <laughs> this is what it's like. Yeah. And I think that combined with some of the stories, Steve Cassidy writes a lot of the text. Mm -hmm. Steve, at that point in time, we had done a number of stories for Pro Magazine for both Dave and John Weebush. Mm -hmm. Steve was um, Madden's ghostwriter, mm -hmm. did his radio stuff, mm -hmm. and he was a student of the game. And his, his writing style is very evocative of Hunter Thompson. So you get the feel mm -hmm. of that era. Yeah. Yeah. How it was. Yeah. And I, I think that the combination of all of that together, it's, if you're a fan, I mean, a real fan, mm -hmm. it gives you a deeper appreciation. And I think love of the game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have not only pulled the curtain back, you have pulled like multiple curtains back because you, you are in places that, you know, TV is, is has never been allowed in. You've been, you've documented everything. I mean, even, even your in-game portraits that you've shot um, showing, you know, the, 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 the mud and the grit and, the exhaustion and all that stuff. It just, you know, you were such an influence on me personally. And I know, you know, a couple of generations of photographers who've looked at your work and really, um, like, we just look at it in fascination. Like, wow, he was, like, the photo you have, I tell you the one photo you shot that was so influential, influential to me as a young photographer, who was the guy you had who the, you took the tile out of the ceiling and the guy is standing through the ceiling tile getting worked on. I mean, who does that? That was, that was old mile high stadium and that's above a pair. <laughs> but what, what an incredible moment that was. Right. And yeah. then, you know, fast forward for me, you know, being with Kobe, you know, in, in literally in men's rooms and where he did his meditation and his, uh, you know, I never would have had the guts to do that if, if I hadn't seen that, you had done that in your career and gained that that trust in some way or another. So you did mention that Bill Walsh says, what happens if you go too far? So is there a, is there a, a moment or two that you can share with us where you did go too far and got called I out? I remember halftime Super Bowl 19, yeah. which was at Stanford. Mm -hmm. And at halftime in the Super Bowl, I mean, now halftime's like, I think, seven minutes so you've got about five minutes where you're in there yeah. to make all your adjustments. And halftime of the Super Bowl, you've got 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. It's forever. Mm -hmm. And I, Bill had the, the whole offense. First, it was the whole team, then the whole offense. And I'm going around and taking, you know, looking for and taking different pictures. And I see him at the blackboard doing what he usually, his adjustments. And I'm, I'm shooting with a wide angle lens wide from behind mm -hmm. and i'm thinking this looks okay and now i'm moving along the wall now i'm moving along the side wall and now i'm kind of parallel to coach and i've got him wide with the team and i'm thinking god you know the really good shot would be if i'm low and shooting <laughs> up and seeing him so i lay down on my side <laughs> right at the edge of the blackboard and i'm like this yeah and coach is making his things and he's talking and he's backing up. Oh no. Almost like falls over me. <laughs> and I remember I had to put my hand up and kind of so he wouldn't fall. And he oh, turns around and he goes, Mike, <laughs> what are you doing? It's Super Bowl. <laughs> and I immediately just got up and just no. like went to the back of the room and was like, 
<laughs> oh my god but you're dealing with so many different personalities i mean just give me a difference between let's say joe montana and steve young i mean two completely different dudes right oh yeah so, i mean totally i mean and you know what steve was then and is now one of the nicest guys in the world mm -hmm. yeah i worked with him in the usfl when he first started yeah yeah and <laughs> that that steve is still steve today yeah almost you know like spaced out and just like yeah. joe was the guy i hung with and joe was cool uh -huh. i mean he was a he is a prankster mm. Yep. They were as different as night and day. Mm. And I tell people now, there was always tension. Yeah, And it was the tension of knowing somebody is right behind you and really good and wants your job. Right. Um, and, and Joe had come from a situation where he got f***ed over by his high school coach. Mm. He got f***ed over by Dan Devine at Notre Dame. Mm. Mm -hmm. And once Steve came in, as nice a guy as Steve was, Steve was lobbying for that job. Yeah. Joe yeah. So yeah. there was real, I mean, there was palpable tension sure. between. And it was hard because it's like you're in high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you, you want to be everybody's friend, but sometimes your best friend, if you're going out with, if you're talking with this guy, it's yeah. like, hey, Andy, if yeah. you're his friend, you you're, yeah. not, you're like bro. no i look you, you're preaching to the choir i mean i had an experience with shaq and kobe where i was friends with both of them i had done a lot of stuff with each of them off the court with their families and what have you when that relationship really um devolved let's say it it really became two camps in that locker room you know where were you shaq's guy or you kobe's guy and i had to walk that tightrope it was really difficult honestly and um then when Shaq left, it took a little bit of a little time to sort of Kobe for him to sort of like allow me sort of back into, I don't want to say his good graces, but you know, just yeah. the trust oh, yeah. factor and all that. And, you know, we're navigating like, you know, big children. Well, and now yeah. it's that plus it's the league. Yeah. And you know this better yeah. than I do. Yeah. And the league with the team mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the different, you know, the PR people change. Yeah. And well, that's what I want to ask you. I mean, how has your job changed? I mean, mine has changed, you know, uh, over 180 degrees, right? In terms of access, doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't matter. 36, seven years, you know, no, yeah. no access yeah. is gone. Um, unless I'm working for the league at a finals or what, what have you. I mean, are you still sort of, granted the same carte blanche access and and people respect that as the regimes change and the pr people and the layers keep getting you know deeper and deeper all right that's all the time we have for this week's episode of legends of sport friday on the arash markazi show again michael zagaris amazing photographer also want to remind you he has a book coming out field of play 60 years of nfl photography that is out in bookstores right now that's all the time we have for today. Let's do it again next week. Until then, this is Arash Markazi saying stay safe and stay healthy. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hustle for the cash so it's hard to knock it. Everybody got their own thing. Currency chasing worldwide through the hard times. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.